So if you've got Hebrews there, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 2 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray together. Father, I pray as we open these scriptures, Lord, that you would speak to us. Father, I pray that you would speak into our hearts, that we would understand, that we would see clearly, and we commit this time to you. Just open our hearts, Lord, and speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you watch sport at all. I watch quite a bit of sport. It's a sin, I know, but I'm confessing it and moving on. But one of the great phenomenons of our time is a situation where you have great sports people, be they footballers or, or uh, you know, um, runners or swimmers or anything else, great sports people who are used to performing in front of thousands of people are now performing in front of empty stadiums. Isn't that incredible? And if you talk to them, they say it's really hard to perform to your best when you don't have the crowd there to cheer you on. It's like, it's a big cavernous stadium. You know, you've got these big football stadiums in Europe and they might seat 75, 80,000 people and they allow 250 people in the stadium to watch the football game. It's pretty disheartening. And um, COVID or not, that is not our problem according to this verse because it says we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. So when everybody else is feeling low and flat and uninspired, we can feel inspired because we've got a whole bunch of people cheering us on. Who are they? According to that verse, it's the heroes of chapter 11 are in the stands cheering us on. We've got people who believe in us and we can't see them. They've gone before us. They've been heroes of faith, but they are cheering us on. But what I want to concentrate in that particular verse is, is the, the phrase that says, looking to Jesus, or as some translations put it, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Now, as an optometrist, I think I'm entitled to say a thing or two about eyes. And uh, I will as we go along. But fixing our eyes is not the same as seeing. You can have perfect vision and not have your eyes fixing on anything. Fixing your eyes is a decision. The Greek word used here in that, that Hebrews verse is the word aphario, which means to look away from other things and to fix your gaze intently upon something. I'll say it again. To look away from other things and fix your eyes intently upon something. If we could put it in Christian terms, we might say it means to turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. You see, if you, if you focus, whatever you focus on is what you become. And if you focus on the right things, your life will head the right direction. If you focus on the wrong things, then your life starts to slide in that direction. And part of the issue that we have with fixing our eyes on Jesus is that we have a shortened attention span. Have you noticed that? You may not have realized it, but experts are saying that the attention span in our society is actually going down. As we get more and more technology, our attention span actually goes down. And there is no doubt that due to the rise of cell phones and tablets and the internet and TV remotes, that the average human attention span is shrinking. If you don't like it, you change the channel. You don't even have to get up. You just go and you change the channel. Men, 
because apparently we are the only ones who know how to do that. How many men control the remote? Come on. There you go. But the thing is, as a hu- our human attention span is actually shrinking. We no longer concentrate on specific details. We flit from one task to another. A recent Microsoft study concluded that human attention spans have dropped by over 25% in the last few years to, check this out, human attention span, according to this Microsoft study, is now measured to be eight seconds. A goldfish is nine seconds. We're eight. Have you seen Finding Nemo? Have you seen Dory? That's us. You know, Dory's a little fish. She'll she'll go over to one side of the tank and by the time she's over here, she's forgotten what she had over here. That's us. We have this incredibly short attention span, even less than a goldfish. And frankly, we as Christians can have as short an attention span as anybody else. Don't you think so? Really believe so. We rarely read anymore. We scan. Have you noticed that? Do you sit and read every word? I'm telling you, I don't. What do you do? You scan, don't you? This is what the internet's taught us. This is what, what all this stuff is, teaches us. We don't read every word anymore. We scan, we flip through, we sort of speed read. And so often, things that are not important in eternity command our attention now and therefore divert our attention from important eternal things. You see, we don't fix our eyes on Jesus. We are, we are fixing our eyes on everything that is around and we have a short attention span. Psalm 101 verse 3 says this. The writer of the psalm says this, listen. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. Well, that counts out most of television and probably three quarters of the internet. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. See, if we do not allow, sorry, if we um, allow non-eternal issues like COVID and everything else going on around and also church issues, There's many things that are not really important in eternity that we somehow get involved with in church and we get so wrapped up in it that we lose our attention on what is important. If we allow non-eternal issues to capture our attention, we will never find the stability and the power that setting your eyes on Jesus Christ alone can give you. And that's why we fall away. Paul writes this, Ephesians 4 verse 14, he says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Does that sound like us? It truly does. I think as a society, we are just carried along by whatever is the latest, whatever they're saying, whatever is in the media, whatever is on social, we are just carried along with that stuff. And I believe it's time. I believe what the Lord is saying now is to fix our eyes on Jesus. Don't just float along all the time with whatever is going on out there. So many people are distracted by everything that's happening around us. Some believers are even even distracted by seemingly religious things. 2 Timothy 2 verse 23 says this, Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. Ouch. Doesn't that hurt? have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Well, in this modern world, COVID and everything else, I'm seeing a lot of arguments and controversies and not a lot of gentleness. Do you agree? 
People are very aggressive about their stance on various things. And even in the church, I believe God is calling us to put non-eternal issues aside and fix our eyes on Jesus. To avoid taking part in the foolishness that we see around us and the arguments that are going on. And, um, you know, so many people are just getting sucked into this stuff all the time. Don't let the noise of the world stop you from hearing the voice of the Lord. Don't let the cares of this world distract you from the blessings of God. If you fix your gaze firmly on Jesus, problems become opportunities. Disappointments, you just change the first letter and it becomes His appointments. You see, it depends how you see it. And remember, God prepares our hearts. This is an important thing. When God works in your life, He tends to prepare our hearts for the anointing and blessing in a crock pot, not in a microwave. It takes a long time. It takes longer than you want. If you set your crock pot to one minute and try and eat it, you won't be happy. It takes all day for those things to work. And many of the things that we develop in our life, most of them are not fast. They're slow. And we have to get ready. If we don't fix our eyes on Him, we'll be distracted and fall away from things before He has His way. Distractions cause divisions and destroy your destiny. Distractions. where It's so easy. But here's a, here's a bit of a hint. I love this verse in Song of Songs 2 verse 15. Catch the foxes first, the little foxes that spoil the vineyard. It's the little foxes that spoil the vineyard. It's not the big things. It's these cute, that they're so cute. They're so cute. And so they're just little. Many times the, 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 the little guys, see it's not facing things like persecution or facing martyrdom or out and out heresy. It's the little things, the little distractions that cause us to lose our way. It's the little foxes that spoil the vine. People arguing over doctrines. It's been going on since the dawn of the church. But people arguing over doctrines many times takes, there's no love in much of that stuff. It takes our eyes off fixing them on Jesus. People argue over opinions, mandates, styles of worship. You know, people say, I don't like the way you worship, or I don't like this, or I don't like that. It's all just opinion. And we live in a world where apparently our opinions are the most important thing ever, if you believe Facebook and social media. How much time is wasting over arguing about things that in eternity matter zero? Most of what we argue about in eternity does not matter. I believe this is a key strategy of the enemy right now. Distract and destroy. See, he doesn't have to stop your quiet time. He doesn't have to cause you to fall in a big sin. He doesn't have to strike you down with a fatal disease to blunt your effectiveness for Jesus. He just has to distract you. That's all. Just a little bit here, a little nudge here. The little foxes that spoil the vine. Now, if you catch a flight, if you went down to Sunshine, remember the days when we used to fly? Remember those days? Back in the olden days when we could get on planes and stuff. If you go down to Sunshine Coast Airport and you take off and you're heading towards Sydney, but the pilot is one degree off. It's just one degree. It's only tiny. Just one degree off. You will finish 19 kilometers out in the Pacific Ocean and have a very wet arrival. 
one tiny degree. Am I right, Kenny? You're a pilot? Yep. One tiny degree. So what does the pilot do? He, he recorrects. He constantly recorrects for the small deviations in flight path. And he does it while they're still small. He doesn't wait till he's over Newcastle to turn around and say, well, I better correct this because he'd be miles out to sea. He starts all the time. He's constantly recorrecting, making sure that the course is valid. And we need to be the same. We need to constantly be recorrecting ourselves, making sure that we are on track, refocusing our priorities and refixing our eyes on Jesus Christ. As Psalm 119 verse 15 says, I will meditate on your precept and fix my eyes on your ways. You see, fixing of eyes is all the way through the Bible. It's not just that Hebrew passage because God wants us to turn our eyes upon Jesus. Do you remember the apostle Peter getting out of the boat? If you flip over to Matthew 14, verse 29, let me read it for you. Remember, they were in a storm and, and Jesus came walking on the water and Peter said, I'm going to get out of the boat, Lord, and come and see you. And Jesus said, come on, <coughs> let's pick it up and see what happens. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and he came to Jesus and when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? While ever Peter focused on Jesus, he walked, I had to put this in. Isn't that cute? Sorry, I saw this the other, I just had to put that in. Take my hand, Peter, and don't let go. While ever Peter focused on Christ, miracles happened. While ever people, uh, Peter focused on Jesus, he walked on water. But as soon as he looked at the surrounds, at the wind, at the rain, at the sea, at the churning around him, as soon as he looked at his circumstances and where he was, he started to sink. He failed. <coughs> I believe it's a great lesson for us today. Earlier, Jesus said this. Matthew 6.33, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things are given to you as well. If you look at that passage in Matthew 6, Jesus is saying, what he says leading up to that, that verse, he says this, he says, don't worry about what you should eat. Don't worry about where you, should, where you should sleep. Don't worry about the clothes you're in. Don't worry about, you know, if you've got a mask or not, or if you're vaccinated and all that sort of stuff. That's he didn't put that in back then, but I'm just putting it in. Don't worry about that stuff. What he's saying is, fix your eyes on Jesus. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all this stuff is added to you as well. We heard Danny and Lisa this morning stood up here and told you that as students with no money, zip, zero, no way of paying, that God pulled $40,000 out of the sky and gave it to them because their eyes are fixed on Him, not on their circumstances. If we focus on Christ, everything else comes into perspective <coughs> and the world fades away. I, I just love that song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, because it is, it, is it is a physiological truth. I'm going to prove it to you in a tick. You want to know what's important in life? Seek first His kingdom. You want to step away from the mess that is our current society? What can you do? Seek first his kingdom. Now let me prove it to you. I want to put this, this up here. You may have seen this before, but this is, this is really important. Thanks, guys. There's a picture of Jesus there. I want you to focus on Jesus. I'll 
kind of get out of your way, I'll bend down. Don't, don't look at the surround. Just look at Jesus. But you can see there's colored dots and stuff out there, right? Just look at Jesus. Any one of the screens. Just look at Jesus. What do you notice about the colored dots? They disappear. They disappear. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And what happens? The things of earth grow strangely dim. They disappear. And that is what happens when you fix your eyes on Jesus. You put your eyes on him and all that stuff. That if your eyes are moving, you can see all of that stuff. But when you look at him, it fades away. That's our promise this morning. Fix our eyes on Jesus and the things of earth grow strangely dim. But, you know, sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes our vision is clouded. I mean, let's face it. If we neglect our relationship with the Lord, our vision and our sight of of the things of God grows dull. It grows cloudy, misty. Jesus describes the Pharisees. In, In Matthew 13, he's talking to religious leaders and he says this. You will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull with their ears and they can barely hear. Their eyes have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and I would turn and heal with them. Heal them. (coughs) What's Jesus saying? He's saying you guys see but you don't see. Now this is a photograph of Neuschwanstein Castle in southern Bavaria. I love this place. I've been there a couple of times. It's beautiful, isn't it? Do you think that's cool? And, and um, this, is, this is the actual castle that, that, that Walt Disney had in mind when he designed his you know, Disneyland thing, based on this thing. It was built in, in 1870 by Mad King Ludwig, who nearly bankrupted the country to build this incredibly beautiful place. So I've been there a couple of times. And I wanted to take Fiona there. We were in uh, Bavaria at the time. I said, come and see this, incre- this amazing place. You will love it. And so when we arrived, it looked like this. That was it. And I kind of went, okay, that was fun. Now, let me ask you a question. Does this mean that the castle is not there? Now, of course it does. It has has the thing self-destructed? No. Why? Of course it's there. The trouble is there's mist in the way. There's cloud in the way. And sometimes when our eyes are not fixed on the Lord, sometimes we feel we can't see God in our circumstances. But does that mean he's moved? Does that mean he's not there anymore? Of course not. He's there all the time. It's just our vision is clouded and we can't see him. Something's got in the way. As we pray... The more we pray, we learn to fix our eyes clearly on Jesus. And no matter how we feel, no matter how distracted we are, no matter how foggy our vision or how distant God feels, we can know we have His promise that God is right there in the midst of our problems with us. He's right there holding our hand and loving us and leading us and guiding us. So today, if you feel God is far away, I'm telling you, He hasn't moved. He's right there and He's waiting for you to see. If you struggle even to see Jesus, let alone fix your eyes upon him, then you're probably in the right place because all of us struggle at some point. Am I right? Some of us are struggling right now, but I'm telling you, as we seek God together, we will start to see him clearly and uh, things will fall into place. The rest of the world becomes strangely dim 
in the light of his glory and grace. So I want to finish by just having, giving you three steps on refocusing your eyes on Jesus Christ. If you're struggling with this, listen up. This is really important. Number one, remove distracting obstacles. The enemy loves to distract you from the truth. And as I said, the devil doesn't have to kill you. He doesn't have to make you fall in sin to neutralize you. He just has to distract you. If he distracts you, he can neutralize your, your witness for Christ. He really can. doesn't have to crash your whole life. He just needs to get you that one degree off course. And you'll start to slip away. And so many Christians walk straight into this trap. That's why Paul writes in Romans 16, 17, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them, he says. So don't bait them. Don't take them on and don't argue. Just avoid them. Stop letting the leeches of your mind suck you dry. What am I talking about with leeches? I'm not talking so much about people, but for some it might be Facebook. For some, it might be, I was watching, a, uh, I think, an ad or something on TV the other day about a guy who spends eight hours a day on Instagram. You know, that, that's just controlling his life. It's sucking the life out of him. It could be a computer games. It could be a habitual sin or lifestyle that, that you pursue or, or failing to forgive someone. If you fail to forgive someone, if you hold on to unforgiveness, that's a distraction. That will take your eyes off Christ every time. So we need to learn to forgive people and to love people. Anything that doesn't point you to Christ can distract you from what's important in eternity. And the thing is, the Bible says in Hebrews 9.27, For it is appointed to man once to die, and after that the judgment. You get one life. This is it. It's not a dress rehearsal. If you spend your whole life, if you waste your whole life doing something that's not important, you don't get a second chance. We don't have a rewind button. Have you noticed that? We don't have that. This is the only life you get. So I believe we need to invest it for the kingdom of God. Do I hear an amen? It's so easy to float along, but this is our moment. People are upset and threatened by COVID. I'm excited because this is our greatest opportunity in history to stand up for what we believe. This is it, folks. It's not going to get any better than this for us to stand up and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ to our nation. They will never be in this position again like this. This is our moment. C.T. Studd was a famous cricketer. And uh, he, he actually played in the first Ashes test on the side of England and lost. That was in 1870 or so. But he said this, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You can invest your life in a whole bunch of stuff and it will fade away because it's only what's done for Christ that will last. And I believe it's time for us to get rid of the distractions and focus on joining together in unity to serve Jesus. Do I hear an amen to that? It's time for us to keep the main thing the main thing. There's so much stuff going through our minds and our lives right now. We've got to get back to the basic thing of keeping the main thing the main thing, of actually keeping Jesus first and foremost in our in our vision so don't waste your life pursuing anything anything that turns you aside from the kingdom of God don't care if it's work anything else make sure God is number one and focus on him the second thing that we can do to avoid distractions and fix our eyes on Jesus is to read God's word you cannot grow as a Christian if you never read God's word it simply doesn't happen. I start every day with a Bible reading. 
I have a little routine. I get up in the morning. I have a shower because I'm basically brain dead when I get up in the morning. And the shower sort of wakes me up. And then I, I, I make a cup of coffee and I sit down and I read my Bible. And I do this pretty near every morning. Because it's important to me. I find there's incredible power in God's book. It's not just a book. It's a living phenomenon. Hebrews 4 verse 12 says this. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, God's word judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. When we read God's word, when we put God's word into our heart, suddenly we have this, this incredible living force inside of us. Well, his name is the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about that. But the, having the word of God there, suddenly our thoughts and attitudes are judged because the Word of God is truth. And if we are thinking untruth, our thoughts and attitudes are judged. So we have to get God's Word into us. I remember, who remembers a few years ago? It's hard to remember beyond a few years ago. But we had a plebiscite in this country over gay marriage. Who remembers that? Remember that? Okay. And I had some pretty firm beliefs based on the Word of God and still do. But I had Christians come to me and say, gee, I'm not really sure how to vote. And I went what no I'm not really sure which way God wants me to vote like, can you not read do you not read because if you read God's word it's pretty clear I'd have thought it was pretty clear but the problem is not that people don't know the, the, the mind of God and things the problem is they don't put his word in their heart if you never read the word of God you don't understand what God has for you. It's hard to fix your eyes on a moving target that isn't there. So if you read the Word of God, you can fix your eyes on the Christ of the Word of God. So I want to challenge you again to join us on our Bible reading plan. Two chapters a day. It takes you about five minutes, depending on how fast you read. If you're a modern person, probably skim it in 20 seconds. But I'm not saying you should, but I'm just saying you could. Um, but it's two chapters a day. We're doing it together. There's something incredible happens when we read the Word of God together. And some people say, oh, I've got my own reading plan. That's great. Add ours in so that we're doing it together. There's incredible power in unity. But it'll take you right through the Bible with all the highlights um, in one year. So come and join us. It's on, it's on the app. We've got uh, paper copies of it up the back. Come and join us and read together. When we read... You know, we experience something together. And when I read, I don't just read the Bible, but I, I look at study Bibles and concordance. And I want to encourage you to do all that sort of stuff. I look at commentaries, etc., because I want to learn more. And as you do that, it actually becomes quite fun. My quiet times are never five minutes. Never. Because <laughs> I just, it just, I, I, I read something, then I read something else. And I love it because I'm learning about God and I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus right at the start of my day. Now, the third thing that we must do to fix our eyes on Jesus is to pray. I mentioned last week, prayer is a two-way street. You talk to God, He talks to you. And some of you commented to me that you said, look, it's just hard to hear God's voice. And I agree. Sometimes it's really hard to hear God's voice in all of the, the voices that are coming at us. But if you remove the distractions, it's a whole lot easier to hear God's voice. It really is. And will help us if, if we do this together, if we pray together as well. Um, 
Melva shared earlier the, the, the Psalm 23 about God as our shepherd. In John 10, 27, Jesus said this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me. You see, it's about Middle Eastern shepherds don't drive their flocks, they call them. They don't have a sheepdog at the back nipping their heels to make them move. They call and the sheep follow them. And, and it's an incredible thing. If you've ever seen it, the shepherd is usually at the front leading his sheep on, not at the back driving them. And that's what God is like. So don't get disheartened if you struggle to hear his voice. Sometimes God is hard to hear, but very often God speaks in headlines, not in fine print. Oh, sorry, in fine print, not in headlines. Get it right. Um, you know, we're always looking at the headlines. We don't read the fine print, but sometimes he's there in that still small voice. One of my favorite passages is in 1 Kings 19 where Elijah has just had this amazing victory on Mount Carmel. And, and then, then he runs in fear from Jezebel. And he's in the mountains. And God hides him in a rock. And then it says this in 1 Kings 19 verse 11. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and broke the rocks into pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And then after the wind came an earthquake. <laughs> But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came the sound of a gentle whisper. Guess where he was? In that gentle whisper. And some of you know this voice very well. Some of you struggle to hear this voice of the Holy Spirit in your heart. But I tell you, as you hang about here and as you grow with people who can hear God, you will start to hear the voice of God you will start to understand and know God's heart because He loves you and He wants the best for you. And some, sometimes He might use things like visions and dreams and words and sometimes preaching and sometimes circumstances and sometimes godly advice. But for me, the ultimate way God speaks to me more than anything is out of His Word. And, and I find verses just jump out at me almost every morning and lead me and guide me. It's really exciting. So I believe prayer is essential an essential way for us to fix our eyes on Jesus. When you pray, the enemy tries to distract you. Have you ever noticed that? Who can attest with me that when you pray, the enemy tries to distract you? Every single time. So you sit down to pray. I'm going to quiet my heart. I'm going to pray. And then the kids will do something. Or the neighbor will start a chainsaw. Or, you know, whatever. It's something and you go, ah, it's not an accident, is it? You can have silence for the rest of the day, but when you sit to pray, all of a sudden, all of this stuff happens around you because the enemy doesn't want you praying. You've got to fix your eyes on Jesus. So why pray together? We're going to pray together this week, and it's going to be an ongoing thing, I believe. Prayer is a powerful weapon in spiritual warfare. It builds your faith. It focuses your will so that it conforms to the will of God. And as powerful as prayer in your personal space might be, there's something incredible happens when we pray together. How many of you know that? That's why we have a prayer chain. That's why we are praying constantly in this church. We are a church of prayer. Matthew 18 says this, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I with them. He's here right now. He's here right now because he says where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there with them. 
Praying together gives us a chance to join our hearts in faith because God loves unity and it brings a unique sense of God's presence when we pray together. And so I want to encourage you. I'm thrilled that in the middle of all this COVID stuff that you are here with us. I'm thrilled that you are here on a Sunday. But I want to see you on Tuesday night. You know, I know, yeah, and I, you know, I get it. It's night and, you know, it's difficult to get out and it's dark and it's all that. So I understand that. But God's going to do something amazing on Tuesday night. I think we're going to see, it's not just going to be sitting around one guy praying the whole night. We're going to see God in a dynamic, incredible way on Tuesday night. So I love that you're here now. But please come on Tuesday night. I think it's going to be amazing. This is our moment in history to fix our eyes on Jesus. Who knows, that not, who knows but that you've been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. And I believe in all of history, this is our moment as a church, as people. This is when we need to get serious. Now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. But we have to fix our eyes on Jesus. We have to focus on what is truly important. Cleddy Keith said, a knife cuts because it has a narrow focus. What do you think you're doing when you're sharpening a knife? You're making that blunt, flat end become a narrow focus. And that's what makes it cut. If we are going to cut in this world as believers, we have to have a narrow focus fixed firmly on Jesus Christ. That's what we need. If we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, I believe we will see miracles happen. I said it the other week, you know, I'm not after some of the manifestations that you hear about. I want to see God move powerfully in lives. That's, I want to see marriages restored. I want to see people coming to Christ. I want to see kids who are strange coming back to our families. I want to see healings that when the doctors say there's no hope, that God makes it happen. I want to see financial miracles such as we heard from David and Lisa today. I want to see those. They're the things that, that we want to see, but we don't see them if we concentrate on them. We only see them if we seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And then these things start to happen. If we chase after those things, they will not happen. We have to fix our eyes on Christ. We have to seek His face, not just His hand. So they're the things that I'm looking for. And I want to finish a little bit differently this morning. I'm going to ask us to form small groups. And I want to ask you one question in your group. Now, some of you might say, oh, this is, I don't know anybody here. It's a great way to know people because we're hoping someone will, will grab you in. Just get four or five people in a group. And don't just stay in your family. You're allowed to go outside of your family to your church family, okay? But what I want us to do is to finish up by praying together. And if you don't pray, like if you've never prayed, don't feel pressured to do so. But some of you, man, when you start praying, we can't switch you off. Hallelujah. And that's great. So there will always be someone who wants to pray for you. But I'm going to ask that we get together and we pray together. Can we do that? What a great way to finish our service. And then we'll have coffee and stuff afterwards. If you're listening online, you know, get together. Just pray yourself online because I believe the prayer accomplishes much. It is the slender nerve that moves the omnipotent muscle of God. So I want to encourage you, we're going to get together in small groups, maybe four or five, and I want to ask you one question first. What's distracting you from focusing on Jesus? Just be honest. It could be family, it could be finances, it could be a whole bunch of stuff. But what's distracting you? And then I'm going to ask you to pray and just give it to Jesus. And let's clear it out of the way and get our eyes fixed on Him. Are you with me? 
Let's pray together first as a, as a congregation and then we'll just gather into small groups before we finish up. Lord, we thank you that you have sharpened our vision this morning. Lord, we thank you that we, we, we can look to you, the, the author and perfecter of our faith. And Lord, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, the things of earth grow strangely dim and the miracles begin to flow because we have our eyes fixed on you. Not on them, on you. And so, Lord, I pray as a church, as we move forward into our destiny here at Ignite, Lord, I pray that you would help us to focus on you and you alone, but to keep our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus Christ. Just pray this with me now, out loud. Say this, Lord, I fix my eyes on you. That is our, our prayer to you, Lord. That's our promise to you. We don't want to be distracted. We want to fix our eyes on you. I pray that we might do that. Not just in the next few moments, but for the whole of our life, that we will continue to recorrect and bring our eyes to fix on you. In Jesus' name. Amen.